You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We start a new teaching series uh, today, our summer preaching series through Proverbs. Uh, About 75% of the year we'll go through books of the Bible, big books of the Bible, kind of working through typically as it was meant to be received uh, from the author, kind of verse by verse. And then throughout the year, we'll spend a couple uh, times or several, a few weeks doing some more topical things and things like that. Well, we're going through the book of Proverbs, but Proverbs is really structured in such a way that it feels more topical uh, it, than, than anything. And so we're picking eight main topics uh, throughout the book of Proverbs and themes. It's so practical. It's a book that is incredibly accessible, incredibly relatable. It speaks to so much in our life and we're really glad about that. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible uh, to go through. Uh, now, I feel like every time we start a series, I say that, but this is true. Uh, and we have each week, uh, we'll, we'll have some of these uh, cards out front or with your bulletin. Uh, today, we talk about wisdom, the theme of wisdom in Proverbs, and, and several verses here where we find this theme uh, throughout the book of Proverbs. Uh, and, and if you got your card today, the, today is wisdom. You see all the instances where that is um, relevant to us throughout the book, and so next week we'll see a new one. Uh, if, you, if you haven't received your book for our summer life groups, or I'll say this, I, I failed to mention earlier, uh, that starts up this Wednesday. Uh, if you registered, paid for your book, have not received it yet, uh, they're, they're on the console table. If you have your book but you don't have your, the, the workbook or study guide that goes with it, there's also study guides out there. Grab that and bring it with you on Wednesday as well. So thanks for that. Um, Chapter 1 in Proverbs tells us right away, who is this for? Why is it written? Chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Who is it for? It's it's for the man, woman, or child who is easily confused. (laughs) Right? It's for the one who's easily misled. I keep making the same mistake over and over again. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make good choices in life. It's for those who lack experience. To no fault of their own, it's just it's to those who are young. Those who have yet to encounter a certain problem, they don't know how to deal with it. Wisdom is for them. It's for the wise. Why is a book on wisdom for the wise? Well, because the wise are humble enough to know they never get beyond their need for more wisdom. I always need to learn. I continue the need for growth. I will never arrive until Jesus comes. It's for people who want to learn more. Like I, I, I've, I've got a lot of things uh, I understand and, and, and experience, but I want to learn. I want to grow. It's for you. There's another category of kind of person that this is written for. It's for the fool. Good news. If you're confused, if you're easily misled, if you want to learn more, even if you, conti- if you make mistakes, are foolish, and continue in a lifestyle of folly, The good news is God provides his word to us. Wisdom is for you. This book is for you. God's word is for you. And we're not 
no one is completely without hope. The undiscerning, the, the foolish, the, the doubter, the skeptic, the confused, no one is without hope. You'll come across a lot of names uh, in uh, the book, including in the book of Proverbs. But Solomon, King Solomon, is the one who is attributed with being its author or its editor of all these kind of parables or words of wisdom um, in, in the book. Solomon is, is the son of King David and Bathsheba. Like that name sounds familiar. Yeah, it's the, it's the same one. The woman with whom King David had an affair, deceived her husband, led him into battle to make sure of his death. He's David, King David is a, a murderer, an adulterer, a liar, a deceiver. You would think that a child born out of such foolishness would be an indication of what kind of man Solomon would be, but the Bible tells us that God loved Solomon. He loved him, and God blesses Solomon. And still a young man, Solomon is now the king of Israel. He becomes king after his father, and he feels the pressure of leading God's people. It's a hard job. Hard job to be the leader, hard job to be the king. He, he lacks in experience, lacks in wisdom, he lacks in a lot of things. And so God comes to Solomon in a dream, and he says, Solomon, ask me of anything that you need, and I will give it to you. I love you, and I will bless you. Tell me what you need, and I will give it to you. I mean, this is one of those magic wand situations, right, that we all kind of desire. If you had a magic wand that can change any situation, give you anything, take away any discomfort in your life, if you had a magic wand that can change the one thing about yourself or your life that is just a thorn in your side, what would it be? What would look different? God comes to Solomon and says, tell me anything. Ask of anything, and it's yours. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for love. He could have asked for power. He could have asked for the death of his enemies or victory in his military pursuits, but he doesn't ask for any of that. He says, I desire wisdom. I desire to be wise. And we are told that God was so pleased with that answer that Solomon did not choose something for his own personal consumption, but for his own leading in righteousness and justice and for the good of others. That God says, I'll tell you what, Solomon, I will make you wise. In fact, no one will live that will be more wise than you. And because you asked of such a great thing, I'll give you everything else too. And it's true. Solomon has been known to be the wealthiest, most affluent human that has ever lived. He could have asked for anything. God gave it all. He was exceedingly generous to Solomon. Riches, honor, victory, prestige. No king will ever compare to Solomon in his riches. He was in his day and throughout all time, aside from Jesus, the wisest man on earth and accumulated the most wealth of anyone who has ever lived. He had 40,000 personal horses. All his furniture and dinnerware was made out of solid gold. People have said about him, half of what he has said and taught is unknown. And he spent his life 
giving out so much wisdom, so much knowledge, and people are like, we've barely scratched the surface of what he knows. He wrote 3,000 Proverbs and wrote 1,500 songs and hymns. He was artistic. He was rich. He was handsome. He was wise. He was powerful. He was a man after God's own heart. I mean, ladies, this is like, this is your type of guy. Okay. This is, this is the guy on your list. Well, it turns out he was also the, the type of uh, guy for a lot of other women, too. He had a thousand girlfriends and wives. You know, the Bible tells us that Solomon, at the end of his life, or that he would actually turn his heart from God. Tragically, we, we learn that Solomon's heart would wander from God, and he, the wisest man who ever lived, would, would fall into foolish living. We don't know exactly what God did to Solomon's heart before he died. We don't know how things turned out. Some think that he continued in foolishness to the day he died. Some believe that Solomon repented of his sinful ways, turned his heart back to God in repentance of sin before he died. Some even think the book of Ecclesiastes, which he wrote as well, is his confession and repentance book, where he says, like, I've pursued it all. I've pursued sin as far as it goes, and I've known riches as far as it goes. My only hope is God. And so something later in life that his heart, having experienced the best that the world has to offer and the worst of sin, he ultimately went back to God in repentance and confession. But here's the thing. We don't really know, and it's not really important because we don't study Proverbs to get to know Solomon. We don't study Proverbs to get to know the man Solomon, but rather we want to learn how to grasp onto the one in whom all wisdom is found. We want to grasp the one in whom all wisdom is found, the one that it points to, Solomon points to. And Jesus even says when he comes on the scene, he says someone greater than Solomon has arrived. And they wanted to kill him because he said that. They're like, no one is wiser, no one is better, no one is wealthier, has better things to teach us than Solomon. Jesus says, who has two thumbs and is, you know, anyway. (laughs) Colossians 2, 3 says this, speaking of Jesus, the apostle Paul says this, in whom all things are hidden, all in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Speaking of Jesus, all the wisdom, all the understanding, all the truth and insight of God, all the heavenly treasures and the resources of heaven and God are embodied in Christ. He is the visible expression of the invisible wisdom of God. A book that does not utter the name of Jesus once still talks about him at every verse. Because Jesus is the fully incarnate wisdom of God to whom we should look and seek and grasp. If we really want to learn wisdom, we really need to get to know Jesus. If we really want to know how to live a wise life, we need to know the book of Proverbs and the wisdom in Proverbs within the context of knowing Jesus his life, his death, and resurrection. Do we want to be better people? We do. Do we, do we want to get uh, our life in order? That would be good. Do we want to gain wisdom? Of course, who doesn't want to be more wise? But above all of that, and more important than any of that, we want to, in order to get wisdom, we must know Jesus. We must get Jesus. Look at Proverbs 4, verse 4 to 9. Get wisdom. Get insight. 
do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth, do not forsake her. She will keep you, love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you do, whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So for this morning, we, we look at all of these uh, uh, theme, this big theme of wisdom throughout this book of Proverbs as a way of introdu- introducing an, an introduction in this book, asking three questions. What is wisdom? Why do we need it? How do we get it? What is wisdom? Wisdom, we know the word. Do we know what it means? Wisdom is knowing if something is true or not, how to apply what is true at the right time, and how to live well in light of the truth in various situations. Easy, right? <laughs> not easy. Wisdom is not just gaining or accumulating information and knowledge. It's not being smart. Wisdom is also not just knowing what to do uh, that pleases others. Wisdom is knowing the difference between truth and lies, applying that truth in the right way, and living a habit of life, and applying that truth and wisdom to every situation that we encounter. That's what we want. That's what God desires of us. When the Bible says, get wisdom, It isn't talking about learn the right answer, but a whole moral orientation towards our life, a developed intuition within our heart, in our minds, to know and weigh all the information that we encounter throughout our day, the constant flood of information that we receive, and being able to weigh it oftentimes between two good competing things. Two options, both good. What do I do? Weighing the issues of life. The famous story in the Bible that highlights Solomon's great wisdom is found in 1 Kings. It's concerning a dispute between two women. These two women have recently given birth, right around the same time, to a baby boy. Each of them give birth to a baby boy. They're living within the same house. And in the middle of the night, tragedy happens. One of the women tragically rolls over, suffocates her son, and he dies. The other woman, or so, so that woman noticing this, goes over and swaps her dead son with the living son of the other woman. Woman wakes up, sees, her, sees the boy, and he's dead. The whole, the whole, the whole uh, city is, is in conflict. The women are fighting and saying, that's my son. No, it's not. This is my son. No, that's mine. And they're fighting, and the town comes together. They don't know what to do. How do you resolve this conflict? There's no scripture verse for it. There's no precedent for this kind of situation. How do you enter into this dispute? And Solomon says, I know what to do. Get me a sword. Let's cut the boy in half. We'll give half to each woman. That way each gets equal. <laughs> One of the women says, forget it, she can have the baby. But whatever you do, do not harm that son. Whatever you do, spare his life. I don't care who has him. And Solomon says, okay, you're the mom, take the baby. You and I probably won't find ourselves in a situation like that, where we need to mediate between something that's so difficult, where there's no like neon light that says, like, here's how you judge, here's how you enter into it. Here's the difficult thing about situations like this. There's, we, what, what book and chapter and Bible verse do we go to? Most of the struggles, most of the situations in our life are going to be categorized by those kinds of struggles. 
What do I do? There's two good options. What do I do? There's two seemingly equally bad options. There's no biblical structure to handle those kinds of situations. And I imagine that you or I will never have to weigh in on a problem exactly like this one, but we deal with hundreds of decisions a day that have no biblical structure. Stressful, isn't it? It's confusing. It's, it's overwhelming. But there is provision, and it's called the wisdom of God. If we get if it gets complicated when the Bible doesn't address specific situations to which we still need thoughtful answers. What exactly should I, say, should I say to a friend who's grieving? What should I get out of this relationship? What should I put into this relationship? How do I lead my children? How do I discipline? How do I instruct on this or that? What's the best way to correct a friend? Where should I land on this or that social issue? How should I invest my money? What what school should I put my kids into? Where do I go to college? Should I go back to college? Should I go to a vocational training? Should I go to a trade school? What should I do? How do I take care of my my aging parents? I mean, fill in the blank. The, The decisions that we have to deal with on a daily basis, there appears no biblical structure for. It requires wisdom. Wisdom is something that we cannot just Google. We can't just go on and and Google it and then get that wise answer. Wisdom is neither an absolute command, nor is it an absolute promise. It's a way of discerning how to get through our daily life in a way that's honoring to God, pleasing to him, and a blessing to others around us. Wisdom is how you and I live rightly in this world. Reflect again on verse 7 that we just read. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Okay, the beginning of wisdom is this. Okay, good. I need wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this. Step one. Okay, I'm ready. I'm writing it down. The beginning of wisdom. This is the first thing you want to do. I'm ready. Get wisdom. Okay. Step two. Step two. Okay, step. let's go on from that. Step two. The second step of getting wisdom is get insight. Okay. (laughs) I'm, I'm back to where I started. What do I do? What is, what is this? What is that? Doesn't help. What do we make of it? What's happening? Here's what's happening. We want God to show up to give us answers to the hard questions of life. God, just tell me what to do. Like, give me a neon light. Show up in a dream. Make it obvious. I, it, so we, so we cling to those things. If God would just show me a sign. We, in our hearts, we want to be led like that. We want God just to tell us what to do. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he's calling us into a relationship with him, so intimate, so close, so connected, that he himself will cause us to grow into wisdom, into maturity, to experience wisdom and truth that he gives, to ponder his character and nature and promises so deeply that it gives us understanding for how to live. And that's a longer road than the vending machine God that we often go to. Just like, God, here's my problem and here's what I need. And God says, that's not how it works. And so wisdom is how to live rightly in this world. 
And to get it, we must sit and ponder and reflect and to, to embrace so deeply who God is and what he has done so that when something happens, we are able to apply wisdom in that situation. But why do we need it? That, that's what it is. Why do we need it? And I don't mean to be abrupt here, but here's what Proverbs 8 says. Here, instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. A little deep there, right? So all who hate me, this is wisdom talking. If you neglect me, you, then you, you, you must love failure. You must love death. You must love pain. Wisdom is not an accessory to a good life. If we don't have it, it's not like we can just be okay. There is so much at stake, and here's what's at stake. Those with wisdom will find the truly good life, and those without it will make life miserable for their own lives and the lives those, of those entrusted to them. And this, this is the wisdom of God's word, that those who find it, those who seek after it, those who understand the, the wisdom of God, the nature, heart, and character of God, we will be like an overflowing fountain of blessing and love and justice and kindness and goodness. And those who hate it will destroy their own lives and the lives of those around them. There's so much at stake. Wisdom says this, do yourself a favor, get me. Find me, pursue me, embrace me, love me, and you will not be disappointed. I was watching a documentary on infomercials. I know, right? It, it was an infomercial on infomercials. And uh, it was fascinating. I love this stuff. Uh, there's the science to the formula of how an infomercial is created. You're probably familiar with that. Uh, so that every viewer is convinced that they need that one thing. They need that thing, right? You know how it goes. Uh, it starts out, everything's always black and white. You know, the person is, uh, hair is just a mess. You know, even if they're selling something like for long care, it doesn't matter what they're selling. They're just like disheveled and they're a mess. Uh, the person ex is expressing some kind of negative emotion, some kind of negative existence. Things are just not the way they want it to be. Anger, frustration, anxiety, pain, fear, um, tiredness. Then everything brightens up. Kids are happy, they're playing in the yard with a golden retriever, and it's just like, everything is awesome. This is how they get you to buy something. Here's life without it. You don't want that drab life. Here's life with it. You're, you, you, you can't imagine your life any better. That's the science of it, and so they want, to, they want you to think in these two extreme ways. They contrast two things, and, and Proverbs will do this continually whether it's issues of, of children and family, whether it's issues of how we spend our money, whether it's issues of the kinds of friends we should pursue or the kind of parent we should be or the one whom we should love or wisdom itself, it says, here's what life will look like without, without me and here is what God is calling you to and what life will look like if you embrace me. If we neglect wisdom, it will lead to a life of injury emotionally, relationally, spiritually, physically, none of us are exempt from the, the possibility of ruining ourselves with the choices we make. Even if we have the most knowledge and most intellect, even if we are the most intelligent and good leaders and well-adjusted emotional people on the planet, none of us are exempt from the possibility that we could ruin our lives with foolishness. You and I are, are continually exposed to foolish options 
I mean, just fill in the blank here. I am responsible for blank. Who or what? Whether it's job, whether it's responsibilities uh, in your home, whether it's people in your care. If you are in a position of influence, care, or responsibility over another person, you'll need wisdom in order to lead for the good of them. You'll need wisdom in order to live a life that God has called you to. How are you going to do that? We need wisdom. And so there's so much at stake. Why do we need it? Because there's so much at stake. We cannot know and love God without it. We cannot bless others without it. We cannot grow into maturity without it. That's what it is. That's why we need it. Now I know why you came. How do we get it? How do we, how do we get this wisdom in God's word? You know, wisdom throughout the Proverbs is depicted as, as a woman who stands at the gates of a very busy intersection calling out to people and just pleading with them to follow her. I mean, she's at, she's at Oracle and Ina, right? She's at River and Campbell. And she's saying, just please listen to what I have to say. This will save you. Please follow me, embrace me, love me. This will, this will rescue you. This will give you the good life that you've always wanted. And if you, if you turn your ears from me, your life will be one of disappointment and ruin. Because wisdom is not something that just falls into our lap naturally. We don't just continue with the flow and then become wise. The recipe for wisdom is not just get older. In fact, the Bible tells us the opposite is often true. If we just drift carelessly through our lives, we will actually drift from the heart and character of God rather than move towards him. So it's understandable to think this, if we're growing, we keep doing what we're doing, we will not be the people that God desires us to be. We'll be far from his heart. So how do we get it? There's really two main ways that we think that we get it. One is get older. And so I've met a lot of old people that are fools. I've met a lot of young people who are wise. And so the recipe isn't just get older. Another is um, go to school, get smarter. A lot of foolish, smart people, right? You're the dumbest smart person I've ever met, right? You know that. You are so smart. You have all the answers, but you do not know how to live. And a lot of really wise, uneducated people. Look again at Proverbs uh, 4, 5 through 9, our main passage for today. Get wisdom. I want to read this again. Get insight. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly. She will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Here's how we get wisdom. Most primarily, is discerning the constant flow of life's activities through the lens of God's word. All of life's activities, all of life's information, everything thrown at us, filtered through the lens of God's word that speaks to us and speaks through wisdom. Our world would like you and I to choose between two choices. Trust everything you hear, Trust no one. And then we're like, 
I don't know which one to do. Do I trust everything they say? How do I know I could trust what they're saying? Do I, do I just trust myself and no one else at all? There's no room for discernment. In a world where opinions and sound bites and diversions and distractions are abundant, wisdom is in short supply because the pace of our lives does not allow us to think deeply and thoughtfully through the lens of God's word. We are commanded by culture to come up with an answer where we stand and what we believe immediately. But the pace of life that God calls us to and how we interact with the world, if you want wisdom, get wisdom. Whatever you do, get insight. Think about it. Filter it through God's word. Seek after his truth. Wisdom cannot be gained in a 10-minute TED Talk. I know everything now. I know how to, I know, I'm wise. It comes through honest, deep, thoughtful reflection on God and his word. There, there ought to be this consuming passion in our lives above, above anything else if we desire to be wise, to saturate our thinking with God's word. Proverbs twenty two seventeen says this, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply your heart to my knowledge. Think about me. Pour over what I'm saying. Read it again. Connect it to that situation. Get close to my heart so that when information comes to your ears, you are ready to approach it with wisdom. There's these uh, lollipops that our family loves, uh, the C's candy lollipops. They're really hard. It's a hard candy on a stick. I hate them. Uh, <clears throat> it just takes way too long to get the flavor. Okay? You just, it takes way too, it's like a 30 minute, you're sucking on this lollipop. Um, you know what I like? Cotton candy. I mean, just pixie sticks. Just like pour the sugar in my mouth. Okay. <laughs> Like, so wisdom is actually calling us to, like, let it dissolve over a long period of time. Like, you really, it's, it's, wisdom is like hard candy, not just like a pixie stick. We're not looking for a flash in the pan. We're not looking for quick information to, so that we can win an argument. We're not looking just to get, become wise overnight. Saying that's not how it works. And it's inviting us into a slow, thoughtful process of just walking with God, doing the same thing every day for, for a long period of time in the same direction, being faithful, being diligent, being open to our need for more of what he has to say. And so often, especially like our culture will say, no, like it's got to be sensational and it's got to be quick. And if you are anybody, if you are somebody, if you are valuable, you, you just need to be on your toes. You need to know what to say and how to say it immediately. That's pressure. That's, that is a path to foolishness. If we are to become wise, our diet of information and opinions must begin and end not with impulsive reactions to external circumstances and information, but with slow, deliberate meditation on God's word. The, words, the world's wisdom says to each his own, but the Bible represents an infinitely more reliable source of wisdom It is God himself. The source of wisdom is God himself. And so we draw near, not to just information, we draw near to the heart of God. 
Because the more we know him, the more we know his heart, the better prepared we will be to, be, to approach the world with wisdom and right living. It, the book of Proverbs, if it's read honestly, as we hope to do this summer, will insist that we are honest in two ways. One, honest with what God desires. God says, this is my character, this is my nature, this is how I desire you to live. And so we must be honest with that and say, okay, this is God's word, authority in my life. There's no greater wisdom than this. And so if it says this is how he desires us to live, then that's how we should live. The second thing that we should be honest about is all the ways that we fall short of that. So we need to be honest about God's standard for holiness and honest about our failure in light of his commands. This, bill, this book is it's filled with all the ingredients of right living, and yet we cannot help but see how f- short we have fallen in light of it. And throughout the Proverbs, wisdom is de- depicted as this person. Wisdom is depicted as an actual person with whom God created the world. So wisdom says, I was there at creation. God, I created the world with God. I was there at creation. And then wisdom says, and I invite you all into knowing me personally, to have a personal relationship with wisdom. And later on, Jesus comes on the scene and says, yeah, that's me. That's me. I'm the one who calls. I'm the one who invites. I'm the one with whom you can have a relationship with the wisdom of God. I am the wisdom with whom God created the world. And if you desire to be wise, you must enter into relationship with me. Do you see how personal relationship with God is? The most wonderful, life-giving, intimate relationship with God is not gained through pedigree, It is not gained through your character. It is not gained through information transfer. It is not gained through knowledge. It is not gained through the frenzy of our spiritual activity. God says, if you want this, if you want this wisdom, it only comes through relationship with Jesus. Not leaving things up to chance, but through a personal relationship with him. And only when you see Jesus, the wisdom of God, the incarnate Christ who has come down, laying down his own life on the cross for fools like you and me, I'll speak for myself, for me. (laughs) It's only when you see Jesus, the wisdom of God, the truth, the righteousness, the perfect, knowing how to do the right thing at at the right time in all ways, who has never done anything wrong and then he dies for a fool like me. Only then can we lay down the burden of constantly trying to pretend and perform before God to be forgiven of our sins and to be welcomed into relationship with him. Only then can we stop trying to prove ourselves to earn our salvation. Only then can we see Jesus in his invitation in the wisdoms, in the Proverbs saying, whoever finds me finds life. Whoever gets me gets life. 